All right, we are nearing the end of our study in 2 Timothy. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here, and so it's a great privilege and honor to, to preach God's Word. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, we are in 2 Timothy. We are in chapter 4. We will be, it's this, this sermon and two more, and then we finish our study in First and 2 Timothy. It's been a journey. Uh, today's message, I want, us to rem- I want to remind us of the context the Apostle Paul, who's writing this book, is, is writing the, the last few pages of the last letter that he will ever write of the New Testament. He is about to be executed and killed for being a Christian. He was not always a Christian. He was, a, he was, he was once a, a religious man who was zealously against Jesus and his church. He himself sought to persecute the church of Jesus, wanted to stop Jesus' mission, and lo and behold, Jesus' mission, guess what? It can't be stopped, and so Jesus saves him. And so some of you, that was your story, maybe not in the persecuting of, of, of Jesus' church, but in the, the, just the abs, absolutely, I am rebelling against Jesus. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want anything to do with his church. I don't care about uh, his mission, his word, his will and ways, and then Jesus saved you. You're like, I'm here today because, I don't know, God showed up. That's all of your stories, really, but some of you know those things particularly, intimately, like the Apostle Paul. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy. He's, a, he's about to, to breathe his last, and he's writing like a, a spiritual father at the end of his life to a spiritual son, Timothy, and he wants him to finish well, uh, and he wants him to continue the mission, the same mission that Jesus began when he rose from the grave, gave to his disciples, that continue through the, the, the acts of the apostles into the New Testament church, into to what we are still doing to this day, he wants it to continue. And so it's our charge and our aim as well to continue the mission that Jesus began. And so the first thing we will look at today in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, uh, starting here, is that Jesus is both judge and king. Jesus is both judge and king. And so he's, he's writing to Timothy, he says this, I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So this is King Jesus the Messiah who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing and by in his kingdom. So he, he, his first thing he's telling Timothy before we get to the charge, what he's actually charging Timothy to do. Who is he charging Timothy by? By the, by God. See, here's the reality. Paul is charging Timothy to his ministry task, his assignment under the authority of Jesus. He's not saying, I'm I'm, I'm charging you under my authority or my apostolic authority even. He's saying, I'm charging you as, as, yes, a spiritual father to you, Timothy, but I'm charging you under the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Paul himself is under the authority of Christ. We all ought to submit to Jesus as our Lord, our God, our King. And so he is, he is he's speaking as he's spoken many times as being a, a servant or a bondservant or a slave or, or positioned in submission under Jesus and his authority. And by that authority, it's the same authority I preach from today. I do not preach from my own authority, but by the authority given by God's word. And so Paul is doing the same thing. Under the authority of Christ, he wants us to see that Jesus is both judge and king. And therefore, the nature of this call, the nature of this call that, that, that Paul is, is, is giving to Timothy is, 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 a, is a response to God's, or it's an affirmation of God's call on Timothy's life. So what Paul is doing is, is, is recognizing that God calls it's God who sets people apart. It's God who has made Timothy set apart for this task. So the Apostle Paul, under the authority of Christ, is simply affirming in his appointing, in his, in his, in his language here. He's affirming what God has already has done. And so he's using the language here of a judge in a courtroom. It's like, it's like one under oath. That's the kind of uh, a tone he has here. It's like he's under oath. Like, Timothy, this is your charge. It, you're under the oath or the, the authority of Jesus, and you have a mission, and, it, and it's coming straight from the king himself. But he is also not just a king, but he is a presiding, ruling judge. He is a judge. Jesus is a judge and king. Upon the resurrection of Jesus, God the Father granted Jesus Christ all authority in heaven 
and on earth. That's the, that's the beginning of the Great Commission, is that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to King Jesus. He's given the church, therefore, uh, an assignment, a mission, to go and make disciples of all nations, whether they want to hear it or not, to make disciples of all nations, because everyone needs to know, love, and trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and for salvation, for, for any hope in this life and in the life to come. You need Jesus. That's the big idea. So he says, go. Go to anyone and everyone, whether they listen to you or they don't listen to you. Everyone needs to know Jesus and disciple them and then baptize them once they get converted so that they have an external marking that they're part of the family, the adopted family of God. And then teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded, everything, the whole Bible, teach them to observe it, obey it. Jesus tells us if you don't obey him, you don't love him. Because we know, love, and trust Jesus, we want to honor him, we want to obey him, we want to follow him. And so all that authority was given to Jesus and that was the mission he declared to the church. It happens to be the same mission we have at our church. We don't tend to deviate from God's word. That's what, he gave us a mission, don't need to change it. That's what we're doing. We're trying to make disciples. We're trying to introduce people to Jesus to continue to, to teach one another to observe all that Christ has commanded because all authority was given to Jesus. And part of that authority is that he is not only a commissioner and sending, a sending king, but he is a judge. He is the judge of the living and the dead. This means this, that Jesus reigns right now as judge and king. He's not just waiting for the day to become judge. All authority has already been given to him. So I love it when people say, God, only God can judge me. I mean, he is already rightfully judge. He is judge of the living and the dead. You're like, well, God will judge me one day. Yeah, he's the judge of the living as well. He's the judge of the living and the dead, Jesus Christ. You need to see this. Oftentimes we look at Jesus and you go, well, God the Father is, you know, he's the judge. And Jesus is the loving, you know, kind, pushover, big, big brother who, you know, you know he's, he's, a, he's like a lamb. And, you know, he just, he just takes one for the team. Yeah, he was a lamb that was slain, is now resurrected, and now is king. He's not, he's not the lamb anymore. He is the lamb that was slain. Jesus is not slain. He is alive. He is victorious. He is ruler. He is king. He is judge. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And what we need to understand this, especially if we, we think only God can judge me, this only, this like no judgment, whatever, whatever, I'll wait, my, I'll wait my verdict. You need to understand this. The resurrected King Jesus has already willfully given his life for you. He's already paid the penalty for your sin with his life. And he's not only been crucified and murdered on your behalf, but he is no longer dead, but he is alive. Therefore, only God can judge you should scare you if you don't know, love, and trust Jesus. Because the guy who took your sin, took your shame, took your punishment, isn't dead, but alive. And you got to go face to face with him one day. And you who, who hear the news of Jesus, yet you reject him, rebel against him. Say, not my Savior. I don't need hope. I don't need salvation. I can figure it out on my own. Will one day stand face to face with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the judge of the living and the dead, the same judge that took your place on a cross. He'll show you the scars and say, those are for you and you rejected me. Now judgment and condemnation will be upon you because you did not repent of your sins, did not trust me as your Lord, did not see me as your Savior, did not look at the cross and see the length of which to say, I went to save you, how much I loved you, how much I cared for you. You rejected me on earth. Now I will reject you for eternity. That is what, it is who, that is what Jesus will do to anyone who does not know him, love him, trust him in this life. There will be no hope in life to come. Without Jesus, you need to hear this, there is only condemnation. So if you're not a Christian today, we invite you to become one. And if you are one, this should give us some zeal, some little pep in our step to get out of our seats, to get on the mission field, to, to, to go tell people of the news that Jesus Christ alone can save. 
Jesus is a judge. And if you're a Christian today, that should be great cause to celebrate. That's a great cause to celebrate. Here's why. Because as judge, Jesus has judged you righteous. He has judged you righteous. You're like, well, I'm not very righteous. Exactly. That's why he stood your place for your sins. Upon faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus gave you his perfection, his righteousness, his sinlessness. He gave you his spirit to live in you, to give you life, to teach you God's word. He's given you his, through his blood spilt for you, you now have the cleansing of all unrighteousness and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus as judge has made a way for you. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. None, zero, not even a little zilch, nothing, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you hear that Jesus is judge, you should be like the Apostle Paul, excited. Jesus is judge. He's a judge that has made me righteous by his own life, his own work, his own ministry, his own blood, his own perfection. He has given it to me. And so for the, the, the coming judgment for the Christian is not one of condemnation, but of commendation, of reward, of reward. Not based on your merit, but that of Christ's. Additionally to him being judged, it says that he has, he's, he's charging him in light of the fact that Jesus has come, and he has come as king with a kingdom. He says this, that, that Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, but also he, by his appearing in his kingdom. This is the reality. By his appearing, it's a, it's a historical, real, actual fact that Jesus Christ has come. It's not a, a, something we just spiritually think about. Or just, you know, figuratively the God-man came and, you know, kind of like all those superheroes we read about. It's just not really real. No, Jesus appeared. He appeared in, as a baby, as a grown man. He appeared through his entire life of growing up. And then he appeared not only in his death, but he appeared after his resurrection. He, his appearing he has appeared. He has come. He has, he, he's a real man uh, with, with real historical accuracy of him coming, which means there's real implications. And Paul is it's so real that it, he's charging Timothy by the, the reality that Jesus Christ has come and is appearing. And so he has come, and what, what Jesus did when he came to earth, he brought with him a kingdom. I need you to understand this. We're not waiting for the king to come. The first time, we're not waiting for the kingdom to show up. The king has come. He came with the kingdom. His name is Jesus. His kingdom has come. And it's, it, it has invaded this fallen world, and it has entered into the hearts of people. If you know, love, and trust Jesus today, the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. It is, it is in you. It, the kingdom has come in the hearts of people, and that's how it's, it spreads it spreads not just through, through uh, it spreads through faith. Our hearts get changed, transformed, and, and we continue to share, grow, love, serve. The kingdom has come, and it's come to the hearts of people, and it's spreading the old-fashioned way through Bible teaching and faith. Jesus is king, and therefore he has a kingdom. I need us to see this. He brought, by the, by the appearing and by his kingdom, Paul is charging Timothy to this task. Why? Because his task is a ministry of preaching that will build the kingdom. That's why he's charging by the kingdom, because you've got to do the task of the kingdom. Every Christian is a, it has been tasked with kingdom assignments. Now, every Christian has different assignments in the kingdom, like a hand has different assignment than the feet and the eyes than the hand, so do the different members, the body parts of, 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 of Christ's body have different tasks and assignments in the kingdom. But the task of the church, the task of Christians is kingdom building. And where you see the kingdom being destroyed or, 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 it's be, or devoured, kind of like in the days of Nehemiah, that means there's some rebuilding that needs to happen. Some building and rebuilding. This is the job of the Christian. This is the task that Paul telling Timothy is kingdom building, kingdom living, kingdom preaching, kingdom uh, expansion. 
Did you see this? The, the, the task here to Timothy is kingdom expansion. So many Christians are afraid of those terms, like the kingdom expanding. Oh no, does this mean we're conquerors? Yes, it does. But by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is how we conquer. We, don't, we conquer through faith, not force. This is how the kingdom, but the kingdom is a conquering kingdom. And it conquers the hearts of men and women who, who like we once were, are rebelling, running from Jesus. It conquers us. It has dominion over us. It changes us. It transforms us. This is, the light. This is exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. And now he says, preach the word. Here's the charge. The charge to Timothy, in light of the presence of God, the power of Christ, the, the, com- the, the, the judgment of Christ, and the, and the coming of Christ's kingdom, he charges Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. This is the task for Timothy, to preach the word. Literally, this word, this, this word the word translated here is like utterance. He, he's literally to preach the utterance of God. And he's already made it clear in our entire study through First and Second Timothy that what he's talking about is the word of God, uh, which last week we talked about was sufficient for all situations and circumstances. We know basically he's saying preach the Bible, preach the Bible, preach God's revealed word to his people and to the world, to anyone who will listen, preach the word. That's the divine task and assignment. And to preach, what that means is to, to herald to just to, to speak clearly, to publicly pronounce. That's what preaching is. Preaching is, not, is, is literally saying, this is what God has said. Therefore, obey it. That's what preaching is. If you've ever wondered why the prophets got killed, that's why. They showed up and said, you're in sin. This is what God says. If you don't, the judgment and wrath of God is upon you. We don't like that. You're narrow-minded. You're bigoted. You're intolerant. We'll kill you. Then another prophet came up, and another one, and another one, and they get to John the Baptist, and he shows up, first words, repent, and then they, they kill him, and then Jesus shows up, and they say, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and they kill him, and then, then Peter, after Pentecost, stands up and says, you killed Jesus, repent, and they killed him, and they keep killing God's messengers, and guess what? God keeps raising up other messengers, but they have the same message, repent, believe, trust. That's what preaching is. Is calling the people, all people, God's people and those who are yet to believe in Jesus, to repent of their sin, to trust in Jesus first. And then heralding the truth of God's revealed word so that it becomes the standard by which we have authority and the standard by which we live and govern, that governs our entire life. It's through preaching. But not preaching opinions, not preaching flattery, not pe- preaching anything but God's word. This is the authority. You deviate, we talk about it often, if you deviate from God's word, you deviate from God's power. You deviate from God's power. And he says, be ready to preach. So be ready. So there's this urgency. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Meaning there's always a season for preaching. Those of you, I know maybe a few, who are sports fans, there's, there's seasons. There's seasons when the team's in play and there's off season Paul is saying in the same way, be ready to preach, but not just in season, but every season. Be ready. There's an urgency no matter what the, the day is, no matter what the, 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 the lies of the, the age are, what, no matter what the economy is like, no matter what the political environment's like, whether things are going really great or really awful or somewhere in between, no matter what and when or how or why, preach. Be ready to preach in season and out of season all times. There's this urgency because there's this importance. Timothy, you're handling matters of life and death. That's why the God of the living and the dead, Jesus Christ, has commissioned you with his mission. It matters. There's an urgency. You're poised, Timothy, with an opportunity to continue the mission. And so he's urging him. He's urging him. And sometimes I need you to understand I've been asked from time to time, and we may disagree, and that's okay. But the reason why sometimes preaching gets a little intense, I may get a little intense, is because I'm trying to cut through the cultural noise. And in this life, there's so many preachers, 
so much preaching that just gets forgotten. Because there's no urgency. When something's urgent, you, you sometimes raise your voice. Sometimes you get a little passionate. Sometimes you, you, you may yell. Sometimes you may offend. But the reason why is because we're trying to cut through the cultural noise and say, this is important. All the stuff you're listening to online, all the podcasts you download, all the stupid stuff you fill your life with is stupid. If it's stupid. So you say things like that, you're like, oh, at least I got your attention. I'd rather be polarizing than forgotten when it comes to matters of urgency, the things of life and death. Cut through the noise. Say something offensive. Say something that'll get your attention. And at least when you leave here, you'll have heard something. This is the same method the prophets used in the Old Testament. It's the same message when, when Jesus shows up and repent. And Paul, John the Baptist shows up in goats, you know, in, in camel skin and eating locusts and honey and crazy hair. He was making a scene, cutting through the noise, preaching. We're trying to get, we're, this, I, I do not, I don't care about me, but I do not want God's word to be ignored. God's word to be ignored. So there's a type of urgency Paul is telling Timothy to preach with. The preachers should preach in a way that they are not ignored. And often, and one way to be ignored in our world today is to, you know, try to play the middle ground. Right? If someone is polarizing one end or the other, they have the microphone. And everyone, the algorithms are set up to, to promote them. Well, God's preachers and God's people need a front row seat to heralding the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not doing it for popularity or for fame, but, but because there's an urgency that right now, if Jesus Christ, the judge and king, would return, just think about this for a moment. If Jesus Christ, the judge and king, returns right now, how many people that you know, love, and care for dearly, or how many people that you're just acquaintances with, would just spend eternity apart from the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus and experience the wrath that he felt on the cross for eternity. You've got to hate people if you're not willing to take one for the team and herald the news and get, offend someone to get the message across to help them see that this is a matter of life and death. It's the ministry. The preaching is similar to the ministry of the prophets of old. It's saying, hey, this is what God said. Sometimes they killed the prophets. Sometimes they repented. Sometimes there was revival. Sometimes there was riots. What there never was was neutrality. What there never was was fake peace. What there never was was cowardice by the man who was tasked to proclaim the word of God. And then he says this type of preaching should do three things. It should reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Two of the three are things we don't like. Reprove means correct. Correct. Why do we need correction? Because we're prone to wonder. We literally just sang a song about feeling prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. If you sang those words today and you don't like reproof or correction, then why next time that song comes on, you'd be silent. Don't sing it, because you're a liar. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, now I'm going to ask you, God, to take my heart and seal it. That means I need to be corrected. So it comes, and you're like, he's offending me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't love me. Ah, oh, this hurts. But the song feels so good. God loves you so much that he answers your prayer sometimes through the singing, even though you don't know it. And reproof comes from God's word. Not because God doesn't love you, because he cares. He wants to correct you so that you walk straight. You walk upright. You walk towards life. You walk towards salvation. You walk towards blessing. You walk towards hope. You walk towards forgiveness. You walk towards new life. You walk towards the kingdom, in the kingdom, and the power of the kingdom, and experience the love, mercy, and grace of the kingdom. Because you're the king's kid, he corrects his children. I'm told in Hebrews that, a true father will discipline 
his children. If he doesn't, that's an illegitimate child. God loves his children too much to to not reprove us. Additionally, preaching rebukes, which is a sharp criticism. So if we're going to rebuke culture or the world we live in, like John the Baptist, it's it's a criticism of culture. The word of God criticizes, rebukes the modern contemporary culture. It has always done this, and it will forever do it. The gospel of Jesus, the word of God, is, is, a, is a critique on any rebellion from the God who created any, all of us and created the world we live in. God is trying to bring us back to him. Both of those, reproof and, critis- and, and, and rebuking, are for the purpose of repentance. Repentance simply means turning around and come back home. It's like a, a child running away from their father who says, come to me. Turn around. Turn around and come home. Come around and climb back in my lap. God the Father is, doesn't reprove you and correct you and rebuke you because he doesn't love you. It's because he, in fact, he does love you. So oftentimes we, we, we see reproof, we, we see rebuke as, 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 as chastisement of a, of a God who's not loving towards us. In fact, that is the lie of the devil because it is coming from a loving God. It's saying, hey, come back. You're running away. You're rebelling. Repent. Turn around. I'm correcting you. Come back. Climb in your father's lap. Let me put my arm around you, son or daughter. Kiss your forehead like a, a father would their child. Tell you that I love you. Remind you that there's no condemnation for your rebellion for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you are rebelling and you must stop or it will harm you, son. It will hurt you, daughter. I care about you so much. Then he says to exhort. Exhort. This is a strong encouragement. Encourage. Encourage the people through preaching. Encourage them to endure. Encourage them to keep going. Encourage them. Oftentimes, Paul in his letters, or we see in, in, in First Tim, or sorry, in Acts, when Paul shows up into a city, he's often strengthening the brothers. Why do they need to be strengthened? Because they're exhausted. They're worn out. They need encouragement. Because they've been, they've been following Jesus. And, and, and some people have judged them wrongly because of that. He says to do so with patience. So he says to do it with, to, with, with complete patience. This means endurance. This is long-suffering. See, you're going to have to preach, Timothy, and you're going to have to endure. You're going to have to suffer criticism. You're going to have to suffer being uh, uh, offended by others and offending others. You have to be willing to offend. You have to will, be willing, Timothy, if you're going to preach, to get your feelings hurt. You're, you're going to have to be willing, to, Timothy, to be slandered. Paul's urging Timothy to preach like lives depend on it because it does and he tells him to do so with a posture of endurance because it's exhausting and that's the, that's the task he's given Timothy. And he says to do so additionally with not just patience and endurance and long-suffering but with teaching. See, preaching, is, is, sometimes there's elements of, of teaching involved which is for the purpose of context, to understand where we're at in the scriptures, uh, the, for the purpose of understanding where, what, what is being said so that you can preach. I need you to understand, preaching and teaching are two different offices, two, or two different tasks, two different gifts. But, but, but sometimes preaching requires teaching so that you can create a context for preaching. That's the purpose. It, it, it's teaching is a gift and should be used, but preaching and teaching aren't necessarily The same thing. Preaching, this is what God says. Teaching is giving understanding so that we can live in light of what God says. Verse three, he says, for the time is coming. So that's the task, preach the word. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So he's saying to preach something in a world that they don't want you to preach it in. See this? That's why he's got to endure. That's why he's got to keep his, keep standing up, keep moving forward, because no one wants to hear it. The people will, the time will come when they will not endure. They won't be listening to sound teaching. But 
They'll have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, our day, the day you live in right now, is one of theological error and confusion. Additionally, it's, it's a day of moral rebellion and complete apostasy by some. People who are in the church, who call themselves Christians, who don't believe in sin and repentance, don't believe that Jesus is the only way, that's willing to learn from all different types of religions about, you know, the demons and how the demons do their religion. And we have these, you know, rallies where all these, Christ, these Christians and other religions come together in some sort of unity to pray to different gods. That's not unity, that's just not calling people to repent. That's not calling people, giving them an opportunity to be saved from their sins. It's allowing us to affirm that, hey, leading people off to, to silly myths and to go off on their own passions and be destroyed by Satan and demons, like be deceived, that's okay. We don't, we're not okay with that. We're not okay, we're not okay with that. So that this is what happens in our day is the same as in Timothy. When people don't like something that's being preached, what do they do? They just find another teacher, another preacher that suits their own passions. Hop from church to church until get offended to this one, get offended to that one, get offended to that one. Eventually figure out you're the one, the problem, because you're being offended in all the church. God's offending you on purpose. God will even use heretics to offend you because he wants you to know you're not that smart. You're not that good. You need Jesus. And so our day is, this is more prevalent than probably any day in human history, just the ability to just hop online, hop to this preacher, hop to that preacher, hop, do, not be submitted to in church, not really be, be on mission anywhere, but to just find a place that suits your own passions. He's warning against that, but he's also saying it's going to happen. So when it does don't get your feelings hurt, Timothy. Don't get your feelings hurt. I need us to see our passions should be God's passions. So if you're not passionate about what God's passionate about, that's a return. And we go, I'm passionate about things. If you're not passionate about God, I, I, I recant on those and I trade them in for what you're passionate about. So God is passionate about his word. He's passionate about himself, his holiness. He's, he's passionate about Jesus, the gospel. He's passionate about obeying the whole great commission we're passionate about that because God's passionate about that. So churches have become so fragmented in our world today because they're, they're, they're putting their hope in, in, in whatever the, the clowns are saying in the, in the media, whatever's going on in the culture, and they're going, man, if I, if I, if I say something against the, the popular narrative of the culture, then people aren't going to come to our church. People are going to be offended. People aren't going to like that. So what we will do is just tickle their ears and, and teach them whatever they want to so that we can keep them in the seats. Keep the lights on. Keep the salaries going. Here's the reality. What I'm doing right now is not a job. It's a calling. I'm, I'm going to do it whether the lights are on or off. I'm going to do it whether there's money in the bank or there's not. Until Jesus die or until Jesus takes me home, this is the job. This is the task. This is, this is, a, this is Timothy's task as well. We should stop caring so much about what people think and be faithful to Jesus' word, will, and ways in his mission. So people are listening and turning from the, or hearing what Paul's saying, that they're, they're turning from the truth towards lies and deception. That's what they say. They're wandering off into myths. See, preaching that doesn't address those lies of culture is, is allowing a people to just consume information and, and then not rebuking the culture, not rebuking the lies. And they're left to think, well, he didn't say anything about it, so must be on the same team. But if you do that, if you stand for anything, really, in this day and age, if you stand for anything, you're going to get criticism. So preaching that doesn't rebuke, preaching doesn't, that doesn't call one to repentance, Preaching that doesn't exhort to endure. Preaching that doesn't uh, do the things that Paul has told Timothy to do. Guess what it leads to? Christians who don't repent. Christians who don't stand firm. Christians who don't seek first the kingdom of Christ and his righteousness. Christians who have no hope. Christians who are weak. 
Christians who are passive, Christians who are lazy, Christians who are anxious because they don't know that they can run to the God and fear not for he is with them and be not dismayed for he is their God who says he will comfort and keep them and uphold them by his righteous right hand and by their rebellion they've run from the righteous hand of God which provides comfort, peace and hope and life and wandered off into rebellion and silly myths and Paul is saying it's because they stopped preaching. Preachers who stop preaching God's word as it is, frankly, boldly, what they do is they begin to tickle the ears to soothe the demonic itch of Satan's whispers in the people of God's ears. It's because they fear man and they don't fear God. Paul is saying that's what's going on. That's what's going to happen. The time is coming. People will not listen to sound, healthy doctrine. They will rebel towards whatever fits them for that day. It's amazing, right? We live in a world that's so postmodern that, like, truth is so relevant. Like, one day you can be this. The next day you can be that. You can identify as this one day and then change it the next day. And it's, that's, like, normal. So I can be a Christian one day. I could be a Buddhist the next day and I can be, I can be religious fluid and if you know that's, that's, that's the norm that's like that's, that's how we should be doesn't that concern you? does that not concern you? that we live in a day where truth is irrelevant to life and Jesus says the truth will set you free so that means we have two options Play the charade and that leads to death or herald the truth that sets free and leads to life. And so this is why there's this urgency. And it's going to lead to a fight. That's what it will ultimately lead to. If you contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, as the scriptures have declared it, it leads to a fight. Paul says it this way in verse 5. But as for you, be sober-minded, enduring, do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, for my time of departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I have kept the faith. The first thing he says in this fight is you got to keep your mind on straight. you got to keep your head right. To be sober-minded, to means to control your emotions, to control your thoughts, to, to the first battle, friends, the first battle is in your mind. The first battle is to believe what's true. The first battle is, is to, to, to see things clearly. That's the first battle. I mean, this is, this is a, a crazy battle. I feel like I endure it more and more. Every time I open my mouth, I leave here and I'm just like, man, thoughts that come into my head or criticisms that arise or, 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 or this, this reality of, of, man, this is a risk. I'm going to risk my reputation when I say this or, or I'm going to lean into that and you know, I'm inviting reproach here or, or man, this, this might really lead to, and it's happened lately that real friends have despised me and, and real criticism. Things like that have happened. And so there's this re- reminder of what, what are people saying? How am I feeling? But what does God's word say? Anchor back into that. Be sober-minded doesn't mean to just not drink too much it means to 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 be consumed with what god thinks of you more than you're consumed with what other people think of you or whatever food or beverage or 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 mind altering thing can control your mind you ought to be controlled by the mind of christ keep your head on straight that's the first thing and so next is endure suffering so keep your head on straight be sober-minded be rooted in god's word and then suffer well endure suffering this means that there's a battle don't endure suffering if there's not opposition. You can endure suffering. I need you to see this. You can endure suffering when you know whose you are. You can endure suffering when you know whose you are. Also, when you know upon whom you have believed. If, if you have believed upon Jesus, and Jesus has said, guess what, there's going to be day coming. Rejoice and be glad in it when they persecute you like they did me and the prophets. And we saw last week that Paul tells Timothy the same thing. All those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So, so if you know whose you are, you're Christ, and you know by, by whom you have, been, you have believed in Jesus Christ, you're not really shocked when opposition comes because he told you. And then he says, I'll strengthen you. 
I'll help you. I'll walk with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Endure well. You can endure when you know whose you are, and you can endure when you know upon whom you have believed. But Christians must endure. I need you to see this. Christians must endure. This isn't just for the pastor. This is for Christians. Christians must endure. Jesus says that those who endure to the end will be saved. Jesus' words, not mine. And this isn't just in the face of opposition and persecution. This is enduring life because life is exhausting. Life is hard. Trials do come. Loss does happen. The pangs of sin and death are experienced by the Christian and non-Christian. And those trials can be, feel like hard pressed. And you can feel like your, your faith is waning. And you feel like giving up. And you feel like you don't have hope. But the encouragement to Paul to Timothy and to, to, to Paul to us is to endure. To don't give up. To don't give up. Verse 6. He says, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, for the time of my departure has come. He is saying, endure all the way to the end. This, this drink offering, what Paul is, is saying is his life has been poured out as a living sacrifice to God. It's his life, has been all, his life is a life of worship, sacri- giving all that he has, the time, energy, talent, treasure, endurance, preaching, the ministry has been done to, to the praise of the glory of Jesus' name, whether he's poured out and he's emptied or he's full, he is the Lord's. That's what he is saying. He's saying the time has come for my departure. The time has come for my departure. He has told the Philippians prior to this that he longed to depart. He was waiting for this day because he said it was far better. To be with Christ is gain is what he said. He said, but I got more ministry to do, so I'm gonna keep enduring well. But he's like, now the time has come. Death is near. And he knows it. And so he's, he's encouraging Timothy to, he, to fight. He says, I have, fight, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've endured well. I've not given up. I've continued the mission. Timothy, I want you to be able to do the same. This is an aged apostle, a spiritual father to his son in in some of his parting words. Just think about that for a moment. And he's urging him to endure. He's like, Timothy, there's going to be seasons where you just feel like God is so far from you. You feel like, why did God allow this? Why did God do this? There's going to be times where people oppose you. You preach the true gospel and people are getting saved and then other people criticize you. They hate you. They dislike you. Then all of a sudden you go to Christmas and Thanksgiving and people are listening to your sermons they didn't even know and they have an opinion. I'm not saying this happened. Uh, Thanksgiving's to come. I don't know yet. Don't know yet. I have suspicions. Already some text messages. Endure well, Timothy. You're going to go through stuff. And the people you pastor are going to go through stuff. They're going to experience the pangs of suffering in this life. And it's going to hurt. They got to fight to believe. They got to fight to remember the truth. They got to fight a good fight and finish the race. See, Christianity is a fight, but it's a good fight. And it's one of endurance. It's like a marathon. It's like an, enduring, an endurance race. But see, Christian, Christianity is a fight of faith. And you see, this is the fight of faith. It's a fight for faith, and it's a fight from faith. You, we, 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 we stand firm and believe in Jesus, so we have faith. And from that faith, we fight. We fight to continue to believe. We, can't, we fight to, to continue to have faith because hard times, pressing times, circumstances come up and you're like, I don't know if God's good anymore. That's the first fight of the Christian is to believe that God is good even in hard times. It's the first fight. And to keep fighting, to keep believing is the urgency to Timothy, to keep loving, to keep serving. The Christian life in this world will experience suffering and, and the fight is to endure. So what does Satan do when suffering comes? Oh, God must not be good. And he, had, he, he gets your friends to jump on that bandwagon. Oh, if God was so good, why did this happen? Oh, I thought, you know, you have your hope in God. This happens. And you're like, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe God isn't as good. Deceived. Led off to wander into myths. 
oh, I need to go find a pastor that'll tell me that suffering, God doesn't have anything to do with it. God actually doesn't, doesn't even, God couldn't have allowed suffering. God can't allow suffering. There's preachers who preach this. I've heard it literally recently. Someone said, no, God didn't allow that bad thing to happen. Well, who do you think allowed it? He didn't cause it per se. He doesn't cause evil, but he allows it. You're like, well, that's... He allowed evil, the greatest act of evil, to be inflicted on himself, his son, What are you talking about God doesn't allow evil? God looks in the face of evil and says, bring it on. I'm going to punish it along with death forever. And so, he then says that there's a reward for those who endure. A crown of glory, verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, now we have this judge, the scene of the judge again, Jesus Christ. Well, the, ju- the righteous judge, Jesus, will reward me on that day, and not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. This image here, Paul has been fighting the good fight of faith. He's been enduring well. He's continued the mission. He's going to pass it on to Timothy. He wants Timothy to do the same. He wants us to do the same. And he has this picture. And he talks about a fight. So think about a boxing match, a, a wrestling match, some, some sort of physical uh, uh, sport of contact, and, uh, and then also an endurance race. Both of these are, are, are Olympic sports that he's probably referring to of, of great intensity uh, and tenacity and, and suffering um, and discipline. One must endure to, to, become, to be these athletes. He says those athletes await a, an award after they're done. They're looking for a crown, to be crowned victoriously, to, be, to win. We look at it today, it's a medal, an Olympic medal, a trophy. And he says, for me, because I've fought the good fight, I finished the race. Guess what's going to happen? I have a, I have a reward for me. It's a, it's, a, it's a crown. It's a victor's crown. And the righteous judge Jesus will reward it to me on that day. Not just for me, but to everyone who loves him. Anyone who loves his appearing. See, the day of judgment for Christians is not one of condemnation, but commendation of reward. You know, love and trust Jesus. This is true for you. You're like the Apostle Paul. There's, an award, there's reward waiting for you. Now, I need you to see this. The merit for our reward, the merit for the crown, the victor's crown that the Apostle Paul is waiting to receive as he's writing this, the one that he has already received, the, the, the merit for this reward is the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is not your merit. It's not anything you've done. It's not your, you, you endured by, you know, your, your own, picking yourself up by your own bootstraps or by white knuckling it to the end. You did not endure. You do not endure and you do not have righteousness and you do not have reward and anything else but Jesus' blood and his imputed righteousness to you. See, the world we live in, this is the race. This is the fight. If you've ever been in a fight or you've ever been in an endurance race, it is exhausting. This is what he is saying. The Christian life is exhausting. Sometimes you've got to endure suffering. Sometimes you've got to endure persecution. Sometimes you've got to endure trial. Sometimes you've got to endure people who don't like you. Sometimes you have to endure criticism. Sometimes you have to preach when you when, when, when experience loss. Sometimes you've got to keep going even though there's trial. Sometimes... When, when people look at Christians, they look, wow, that's a lot of stuff they go through. Man, if this isn't right, Paul says, if this isn't real, Jesus isn't resurrected, the Christian life who lived their life like the Apostle Paul should say, man, we should pity that guy because they wasted it. They fought, they endured, they did all this for a God who doesn't know them or love them. In fact, we do it all for a God who does love us, who is resurrected, who is alive, who is ruling and is reigning. But the merit, and we will get a reward. The reward, though, is not based off of anything we've done, our merit, our righteousness, but it's Jesus' blood that forgives our sin, and it's Jesus' righteousness that's applied to our account. Therefore, we get the crown of victory because Jesus is victorious. He has claimed victory on our behalf. 
we get a real reward. I need you to see this. This is not something like, well, you know, you get a real reward. It's just not based upon your merit. It's Christ's. In the Christian life, in this world that we live in, this fight, this race that we're running requires endurance. It requires us to be dependent on God's word. That's why he's like, don't deviate from the word of God. Preach the word in season, out of season, because you're going to need it all the time. You're going to need it when times are good. You're going to need it when times are bad. You're going to need it all the time. Cling to it. Trust in it. Contend for it. Train others in it. Train yourself in the righteousness of God through his word. Know God's word. Love God's word. Cling to God's word. Fight to believe God's word because there's a fight against you to deceive you. We live in a world where there's a real enemy who wants to trick you, who wants to deceive you, who wants to get you to abandon Christ, abandon his word, just like he did. And Jesus wants you to endure just like he did. And Apostle Paul says, I've chosen, I was going down the path of the wickedness and the devil. I killed Christians. I've repented and trusted Jesus. I'm on a new path. I've been saved by Jesus. I'm headed this way. I want you guys to endure well, just like I'm enduring well, just like Jesus endured well, just like John the Baptist endured well, just like the apostles endured well. Endure well. In the midst of persecution and trial and suffering, Jesus says in Matthew 24 that those who endure to the end will be saved. Salvation is on the other end. We in, the merit for our reward is Jesus' blood and righteousness, but the power by which we endure is that of the Holy Spirit. So none of this is us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's legitimate endurance. Some of you drink energy drinks, coffee, I do too. For energy. And would you say if you drank coffee and you got a little energy and you're like, would you say that, that, that energy was not legitimate? Like, no, it was, it's like for sure legitimate. I was tired, now I'm not tired. Like, I'm totally changed. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It gives you literal, actual, physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual endurance. It doesn't mean it numbs you from the pain. It means it gives you the endurance to endure the pain. Gives you the, the, the ability to walk the path that Christ has laid before you. It allows you to endure suffering like a good soldier that Paul tells Timothy. The Holy Spirit is legitimately equipping and giving endurance to the people and to the children of God. But it's real endurance. It's legitimate. So, that, so, so the experience of the Christian is I'm enduring well. And the fight is, remember, it's the fight of faith. It's the fight to believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. It's, 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 it's the fight to believe that Jesus' righteousness really has been applied to my account. It's, try, it's the fight to believe that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the fight to believe that God is good even though my circumstances aren't good. It's the fight to believe every word breathed out from God in the Bible. It's a fight to believe it and to live in light of it. But it is a fight. And you need real endurance that doesn't come from, from, from a good night's sleep or, or energy drinks, but comes from the Holy Spirit. And so it gives you legitimate endurance, but doesn't mean you're not tired, doesn't mean you're not exhausted, doesn't mean it, you're, you're not thinking crazy things, it just doesn't mean any of that. It means you're just able to endure to the end, to make it to the finish line, to say like the apostle, I've, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. They despise me. They criticize me. We're going to find out in the coming weeks that everyone's abandoned him. He's alone. Like the greatest preacher and the greatest missionary in all the New Testament lost all of his friends. Jesus did as well. But they endured to the end. He's enduring to the end. But he's, he, so what Paul is saying, get this picture. He's like, he, at the very end, he's like, I see it coming. I'm about to pass. God's about to take me home. They're about to martyr me for Christ's sake. But it's on passing away. But look, there is laid up for me this crown of righteousness that Jesus has sealed and secured for me based off of his merit, his blood, his righteousness. And I'm, I've been enduring well by the power of his spirit. And when I get into his presence, I'm going to be rewarded for, for, for enduring to the end. And I feel it in my bones. Like I, I feel it in my blood pressure. I see it in my, in my body. Like it's, it's taking a toll for being a Christian. 
And I'm exhausted. I'm wrung out. I've been poured out like a drink offering. I'm ready to see my king. I'm ready to see my savior. I've endured. See, just like caffeine gives you actual energy and you got to go live your life, so does the Holy Spirit give you real legitimate endurance to endure to the end. It doesn't mean you're not going to be tired. It doesn't mean you're not going to be wrung out. It doesn't mean you're not going to be stressed. It doesn't, not, it doesn't mean you're going to be exhausted. It doesn't mean that you're, people are going to like you at every season. But it, it just means that he's going to get you to the finish line. And when you get to the finish line, there's going to be a reward waiting for you. That's what he says. The King Jesus will award me the crown on that day. But not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Here's the reality. If you don't love Jesus now, you won't love him then. If you're not excited about Jesus now, you will not be excited about his appearing. If you don't love Jesus now, when you see him in in full glory in his presence in eternity, you will not be excited then. You'll be quite terrified. This reward is for those who love Jesus trust Jesus, who give their life to Jesus, their sins to Jesus, their hopes to Jesus, their dreams to Jesus, and they're just steadfast focus on Jesus. Because if Jesus' blood has cleansed them from their sins, it's adopted them and sealed them into the family of God. His righteousness has been applied to their account. They've been made holy. And therefore, they love Jesus. They, love, they look at the cross and they marvel at the link that Jesus went to save them. And they, they, they love communing with him in his word. They love being around his people. They just love Jesus. And when he comes back, they're going to be, yes, we made it. Not based off of our merit or because we didn't think we would endure to the end, but like we feel it. It's like climbing a mountain. You finally get to the top and I can't believe we made this journey. Or some of you, it's like driving across San Antonio in traffic. I made it. I made it home. You made it by the power of the Holy Spirit by the blood of the lamb, by the word of your testimony. You made it. You endured well. Well done. Well done. That's what it's going to look like that day. Paul is looking forward to that day, and he wants us to do the same. So what we're going to do now is we're going to respond to God's word. God's word has been heralded. It's been preached. It's been declared. It's our job to hear it and then respond in light of it. And one, two ways that we do that typically is we're going to take communion here in a moment and remember the saving death of the risen Lord Jesus. We're going to look at the link that Jesus went to save you and marvel at it and partake of the Lord's Supper or communion. But additionally, we're going to sing. And one of the songs we're going to sing, it's the last song we're going to sing uh, today. It's, it's called Solid Rock. It's an old hymn. We've rearranged it. Uh, but it, it speaks to this very thing, that our hope is built on nothing less Literally, we only have hope in Jesus' blood spilled for us for the forgiveness of sins and his righteousness applied to us. And therefore, we can stand firm on him. He is the rock that we stand firm on and can endure to the end, endure hardship, endure suffering, endure persecution, endure sleepless nights, endure criticism, endure everything. And we can get to the end and we can see the face of the Lord Jesus who can be, who's awaiting to give us a victor's crown based off of his victory earned on our behalf. So as we respond in communion, as we go to the table, and as we then sing songs of adoration and praise to King Jesus, as we do those things, I want you to think about that day, the day that is coming in which Jesus will look upon you and tell you, well done good and faithful servant, not because of your righteousness, because of his righteousness. And then as you're, and look at the seasons that you're going to go through. Just imagine the hardship you've already been through. Imagine the hardship that you're in now. Imagine being exhausted and wrung out and, and struggling to endure, but God, the Holy Spirit, picks you up, takes you, crosses the finish line, and then you get rewarded with the presence of Christ forevermore. The day is coming and I hope you're excited about it. I hope you rejoice in it. I hope you long for it. I hope you, that, that pushes you to, to know Jesus now, to love Jesus now because you will be with him, enjoying him now and always and even when he returns and forevermore if you are a child of God and if you're not, we invite you to meet Jesus. You've heard about who he is. Put your trust in him but we're going to respond and we're going to worship Jesus through communion. We're going to worship 
worship Jesus through singing. We're going we're gonna to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the endurance to endure well, to finish well, to keep the mission going because Jesus is alive. He is king. He is worthy. And people need to know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you empower us by your spirit to that end? May we respond in a spirit of excitement, joy, and worship, knowing that there's a day coming for us who, are, who believe in you, Jesus, who are Christians, that is not one of condemnation, but one of commendation, one of reward. We long for that day. We await that day. Give us endurance in the present to endure to the end. Whether we face persecution, trial, hardship, or if we don't, and, it, and, and your kingdom moves with such power that the, the whole city gets transformed and, and no one's persecuting anymore and everyone's becoming Christians. And Lord, whatever it is, we want to fight the good fight of faith. We want to finish the race. We want to endure well. And we long for the day when the trumpet sounds, we're in your presence. There's no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, but you in the new heavens and new earth, ruling and reigning, it's going to be a blast. So may we have a blast here on earth, practicing and preparing as we sing, as we respond as we remember you through communion. May we worship you, Jesus, now. Amen.